I haven't done a performa or a projection to investors in, 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 I would say, a long time now, five years, four years, because I'm converting them to trust on the execution because that's where you make it or break it. That's a very good point. Yeah, no, and I think that's a really good perspective because a lot of times we've been in the place where we get caught up in, you know, fancy decks and letterheads and nice presentations because that's sort of what you're taught to do, right? But, you know, this kind of an approach, it it allows you to build uh, credibility, one-on-one conversation because ultimately they're investing in you, right? And that's that's really the biggest message and takeaway is that they're investing in you, not nothing else. They want that credibility. They want that trust. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey everyone, it's Jose and Khadija Jafarji here, and we are so excited about today's show. We have Nick Legault with us today. Nick is the founder and CEO of Building Investments, Inc., which is a full-service real estate development and investment firm in the Ottawa market, focusing on multifamily and commercial buildings. I've known Nick for several years now, and he's a super impressive guy. Nick shares his rapid growth and his investment strategy, which focuses on high-quality legacy assets. My favorite quote from his interview is, how you do one thing is how you do everything, which speaks to Nick's work ethic and his drive, which are evident with his success. Nick shares some interesting and unique projects he's worked on, including an embassy he owns in Ottawa and the amazing returns he's made on this unconventional project. So let's get started. Hey, Nick. Uh, So excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, So we're just going to dive right in here. I wanted you to tell us a little bit about a day in the life of Nick. So what's on your plate or on your desk right now? What's what's going on with you? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thank you. So a day in the life of Nick. Oh, my gosh. I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to get into this. It may scare a lot of people about uh, the uh, the passiveness of passive real estate investment. (laughs) Yeah, there's no such thing. Both of us know. If you're if you're an actual buyer, then you're certainly not a passive investor. Yeah, yeah. So a day in the life. Yeah. So maybe I should give maybe a context of a week. I think that's probably a better um, a better grasp of, of what it is to be an active real estate investor. So uh, on Mondays, I generally take the time to coordinate all my uh, construction people. So I give them the list of what it is that needs to be done for the week. So you know, in, I have between. 10 to 15 uh, construction guys that I organize, uh, depending on what it is. Uh, and then during the week, uh, we focus on showing and leasing. So I have a um, property manager and leasing agent that uh, we focus on that. What are the advertising? I look at the prices. Where are we? What are we getting from these uh, applications? In the meantime, I try to do as much as my stuff as possible. I want to focus roughly about, I'm going to say, four hours to 10 hours, depending on the weeks, probably four hours on average, about uh, looking at deals and talking to agents. That's a typical week for me. So I would say four to 10 hours when there's something more interesting that obviously there's more conversations. Um, So, but every week I look at deals, Uh, every day I look at deals. Um, And so that gives me a really good understanding of what's coming up, what's moving, what are price points so that I can take action really quickly. Uh, and then on Friday, I generally have my team meeting where I talk with, um, with the guys how the week went and how to prepare for the next week. 
Uh, and uh, I also do the coaching calls on, on Fridays, which tends to be uh, the day that I, I set up the office the most. So that so that's my normal day to day. Uh, so you know I work at the office and then, and then I head back home. Uh, you know have time with family and then at 9 p.m. 9:30 whenever my, my daughter's in bed. Then from 9 p.m. till till whatever time. Uh, then that you know day number two starts and ends and and then I start it all over again the next day. So so that's a typical day in the life of Nick. Uh, you know construction management uh, finding deals. Uh, dealing with investors and dealing with tenants, um, just just that's what it is. That that's what my my day looks like. Wow, exciting! It's certainly <laughs> you know a lot yeah. of a lot of plates to juggle as as an entrepreneur, as a real estate uh, entrepreneur specifically. And um, you know, uh, I know a little bit about your background. Um, why don't you tell us how it all started? What what got you into real estate? What was that trigger point? Yeah, yeah. So what got me into real estate was, uh, I mean, reading the the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. That's really what triggered it uh, when I was in in high school. That's the only book I read cover to cover. Like, I hope none of my teachers listen to this, but I never read any of the books that they asked me to read. I only read the first or second chapter and the last chapter, and I was, that's how I submitted all my essays. <laughs> that's, that's why I didn't do good in, 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 uh, in writing. Uh, anyways, um, so what, what really got me into real estate, um, it, I had some experience uh, working for a builder. My uh, high school girlfriend back in the days, uh, her dad was uh, a builder. So I, I worked for him in the summers and I worked you know, pretty much the equivalent of about a year and a half's worth of full-time work in construction. So I learned, uh, you know, I learned the construction aspect of it from that part. And then when I went in, into engineering, I did engineering and then you know, went, you know, uh, went to work into an engineering job. Uh, and my first engineering job was doing happy. I was really excited, but they had no pension or no retirement plan or any of that stuff. It was a s- small startup company. So I thought that I knew how to paint, paint the walls and I knew how to fix the door handles and I knew how to, you know, change the light bulbs if I didn't to because of the construction background. So it says I'll buy a real estate property on the basis uh, and the, the knowledge of Rich Art So that's how I started. Uh, I bought my first little one six months after graduating university and the lights came on and then I bought another one about six months after and then another one about four months after. So in the first year I had three and then by year four, I think I had about uh, 13 or 14. So, and then it just snowballed from there. So, yeah. So Nick, when you say you purchased these properties, uh, did you start out, I know you're uh, obviously a big multifamily guy now. Was it uh, multifamilies you purchased or were they single family homes that started you off? Yeah, they were all small properties when I started. Uh, frankly, that's that's what I tell most people who are starting through at zero is start with something small, just just so you, you get to learn. Uh, I mean, the, my first one was a condo. Uh, the second one was, a, was, was another condo in the same building. Uh, you know, I, I bought it for 169 or 167,000, I forget what the number is. And then, you know, six months later, I, I had another one um, for... You know, hundred fifty thousand. So I thought this one was on a discount. So I'm like, man, I just paid for this. Um, I'll buy another one for you know ten percent less. Or so that's so that's what I did. Uh, and then from that point, uh, after that, I bought a house, and then a duplex, and then I think I bought another duplex, and then um, I bought some a block of townhouses. So it kind of it, it was quite small, um, which is quite small compared to today. But yeah, so start small. That's that's how I started. Yeah. And what kind of time frame was that? Uh... Uh, before your first multifamily, like was was this over the next like three years or five years? Yeah, so um, I I was really just really focusing on buying small. I, w- I wanted to scale up, but I was still working full time. So my first multifamily is when my engineering company um, fired me for the second time. Uh, you know, they're, they're a startup company. So in two thousand eight, they let go about fifty percent of the uh, of their their workers, and I was one of them. 2008, 2009, 2009, out of a job. So it was my first layoff. Uh, but luckily, I was one out of about 70 people that they, well, they hired three back. And it was one of the three that they hired back uh, in 2009 when they kind of get some money back. And in 2015, the company pretty much went bankrupt. Uh, the It was funded by, you know, privately funded by venture capitalists in the States. And they, they pulled the funding. Uh, so everybody left. 
so so in 2015 i had bought you know uh, a little under 20 properties so i i knew enough to start to multifamily. so i decided that i would not buy another building uh, unless it was a multifamily property so in 2000 15 i got laid off uh, and it took me about a year to be able to find the next one i bought it in the fall 2015. Then right awesome and i'm um, tell us a little bit about what market you're investing in are you in one particular market or are you diversified uh, where are most of your investments located yeah so now they're in ottawa so i'm i'm, a, I'm an ottawa guy uh in 2017 to uh 2016 no yeah no, 2012 to 2017, I bought some some product in in Hamilton, which I did done very well with, based on the research of of uh, Rain. Uh, but since then, I saw the same trend, the same growth trend uh, happening in Ottawa in 2015, in 2017. So in 2015, I saw the writing on the wall. So I started selling in, in Hamilton because it was doing well, and I want to be a little bit closer to home to scale up faster and recapitalize here. So I did. So now I'm, I'm strictly in Ottawa and the Ottawa region. Uh, most of my buildings are all downtown Ottawa. So they're the priciest assets, the best of the best locations. Um, my goal is, is, is long-term. So uh, I want to buy for uh, long-term value uh, and long-term demand of that asset. So that that's where I'm focused now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and uh, that is, you know, somebody that is starting off in multifamily or in commercial real estate in general, they would tend to not go into a downtown core area because of the price point, perhaps. But what made you like, I know your, what was your thinking behind the best locations and the best assets and that long-term vision? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it's because I bought uh, some properties in small towns when I was starting out, like when I was still employed. And when the Ottawa market shifted into uh, some sort of a plateau or, or downward uh, downward trend in 2010, 11, 12, 13, I saw that the small markets went vacant fast because I own some properties in, in, in and around the, uh, Ottawa and own some on the outskirts. All the one on the outskirts became vacant. I had to drop prices below my cash flow point or pretty much at, at break-even cash flow. Uh, that's without paying management. That's without paying anything. <laughs> so it was, it was strictly breaking even or, or a little bit less. So, and then all the ones in Ottawa had more demand for it. So I saw the, I saw the vision or I saw what happened in the down cycle. So, so that's, so that's why I want to buy where there's um, the main job core markets uh, as opposed to on the outskirts. Not saying that it's not going to work, but that's just what I experienced, and that's how I recapitalize. The second thing I realized is that it's a lot freaking easier to make big money uh, in one asset in, in a good location downtown because there's you're always going to find an appraisal, you're always going to find a comparable that is at ten percent higher rents than yours, or or twenty percent or hundred percent higher rent than yours because they're building and renting condo buildings next to me. And so, you know, there's a one bedroom at $3,000 a month. So if I, you know, 5% less, uh, you know, modern than they are, maybe I won't get 3000 a month. Maybe I'll get 2000 a month uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, when you're out of those close comparables, uh, then you're stuck. Everybody's at 1100 uh, for one, I'm just using generally here as a one bedroom, but uh, so that's why I saw I saw that there there were a lot of comparables at top end of the market, and they have to for new product. Um, so there's always a value uh, gap between the top of the market and bottom of the market. And my goal was always to be about eighty percent uh, or ninety percent of the top uh, without spending ninety percent of the cost to get there. So that, so that was my idea. No, those those are excellent uh, excellent points because you know m many investors. They haven't experienced the downside of real estate, and and so I'm glad you mentioned uh, those points. You know, some perhaps go into some really really small towns, and uh, right now when the market is good, all they see is roses. But you know, potential downturn could really hurt them. I I think what they're going to realize is is a little bit like this. It depends on who their target market is that they're renting to. If they're renting to the millennials. In those small markets, these millennials are not going to be there in two years. I can almost guarantee that because the millennials are going to go where their jobs are and they're, they're the most mobile 
and, and frankly, if somebody else offers them 50 cents more per hour on their new job, they're going to move. So uh, the market is still good, still very strong. But uh, if they're renting out to families who are established, then, then that's fine. But just be careful on, on who the market is. And there's nothing wrong. You just got to be ready for it. And obviously, I hope you get a good deal in comparison to another market long term. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, Nick. Thanks. Um, so what I wanted to know was uh, about your portfolio in general. So do you think you could share with us a little bit about what it looks like right now? I will add that I have heard that you own an embassy. Uh, you're the only guy I know who owns an embassy. Uh, that's pretty interesting. It's, I think it's a good story. So uh, maybe you can share a little bit about that with us too. And um, yeah, just generally what, you, you know, overall what your portfolio looks like right now. Yeah, so it's, so it's pretty much all multifamily at this point, except for one building that's an office building. So it's office use, and the tenant is an embassy. So my tenant is the embassy of Iraq uh, in Ottawa. Uh, so it's quite, you know, it, it can be controversial <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, on good days. Uh, so, but they're very good people. I mean, they're diplomats. So, you know, they want to make peace and do business. Uh, so, it's, it's, so it's very good. Uh, have a very strong lease, very strong covenant. Um, so... It's been good. It was an office play from the beginning, um, and um, and frankly, that's that's what it is. Uh, I, I'm definitely looking at that. So here's what I realized with them is that uh, they have deep pockets because it's not their money, uh, and two is is they pride themselves on how their property looks like. I, I didn't know this, and, and most embassies look uh, look like this. So I'm definitely looking at other product in office space uh, that could cater to an embassy type tenant. Uh, so that's that's a bit of an insight that I learned that I didn't know. Uh, so that's why I am looking at office space uh, in the Ottawa market. So I'm sharing a little bit of my secret here as to who I'm planning to, to put in or, or how I would look at this. Um, but yeah, so 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 yeah, I do I do own an office building. I only own one. I'm looking for more if the opportunity is right. Um, and yes, um, one of my tenants is is the Embassy of Iraq. Yes. <laughs> I would like to for you to share. Uh, the numbers uh, on on that deal, um, you know what you purchased it for, and and your refinance value, and how much cash flow you're getting right now. Yeah, so I bought the property for three million. Uh, it's just under twelve thousand square feet, like a couple square feet off. So so, and uh, so I bought it for three. It cost me. I, I budgeted that it would cost me about four hundred thousand renovation. It cost me about. 500,000 renovations, uh, all said and done. Uh, and uh, it cost me about another 150 grand in, in holding costs. So we'll call it uh, 700. So I'm in for 3.7. Uh, and, um, and I got revalued at, uh, at 5.5 million. That was my appraisal. Uh, it took me seven months. That, that has truly been the best deal I've ever done in terms of equity creation. Uh, so uh, almost 2 million bucks in seven months. Um, with just renovation, finding a good quality tenant, which was in this case was the embassy. Uh, so I, I, you know, and then uh, I refinanced uh, for a, I think it was $3.8 million loan at uh, 2.7 something, 2.75, I forget the exact number. So uh, it's cash flowing a little more than uh, 10, 10 grand a month. So um, I don't take any of the money, it stays in the company. Uh, but it's it's making over 100 grand a year in cash flow, net cash flow after everything, because they're paying most of it uh, after paying everything. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. And the best part is it's you only have one tenant who is a business who is, I'm assuming, pretty hands-off and hassle-free. Yeah, they're, they're, they're taking care of everything. I mean, uh, it's a heritage building, uh, so I do take care of the heritage aspect. So I'm, I'm going to be spending the summer probably about uh, 40 grand or 50 grand in the exterior because they're not responsible for the exterior uh, just to be able to maintain it. It's good getting good cash flow. So I want to have the building in good condition for long term. So I'll spend the money now. You know, construction costs is increasing. So the earlier I get it done, most likely the cheaper it will be long term. So yeah, so I'm still spending a little bit of money on it. But frankly, they take care of everything on the inside. So if they want to add plugs, change the carpets, change anything else, then they're responsible. Wow. Can't believe you made two million in seven months, and I don't I don't hear of that story too often. Um, so take us back to that deal. 
um, on about how you found it and why perhaps other people overlooked it. Yeah. Okay. So this, so this is a good, this is a good question. And I'm going to take one step back. Uh, for those of you that listen to the podcast, the everyday millionaire with uh, Patrick Francie, I, I was interviewed on that podcast two weeks after I failed a massively good deal that I thought was going to be a good deal. And I was, I wasn't crying on the podcast, but I definitely felt like crying on the podcast. Yes. Oh, I shit. remember that I missed one. Out on a 34 unit building in a phenomenal transition uh, transitioning area uh, because the seller didn't want to extend the closing day by one day. So, so you know, I was telling the story about that. But, you know, I've trained myself to cry for a day or two and then just put my, uh, you know, glasses back on to look for the next deal. And that's what I did. And, and frankly, I, uh, it was a friend of mine uh, who, who doesn't deal with commercial, uh, but I've talked to um, and um, he was representing the seller. It was actually an embassy who owned it before. Uh, and they didn't want to sell to another embassy for uh, conflict of interest between political conflict of interest, whatever. I'm not too sure exactly what. So, so they had to sell to an individual or they preferred, highly preferred to sell to an individual. So I came in and gave them a low price. Uh, there was two offers. Uh, I was actually on my way out to, uh, to a cruise trip with my family at that point. Uh, like the day before putting in the offer. So, um, so it, it came about, I, I locked it up while I was actually on the cruise, uh, cruise boat, uh, and, and figured out how to transfer the deposit, which was very difficult to do, to do, uh, over there, um, cause they need signing authority to transfer. Like the deposit was quite big. So, uh, it still got done. Um, and, uh, I closed it in two months. So what I did is. I took a, a construction loan to buy it, so they overlook a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. So, so I was able to qualify for financing quickly, and then I raised capital. At that point, I had liquidated a lot of, of a lot of assets to have cash to buy my other building that I failed on, the thirty-four unit building. So I was quite liquid in cash, but I still raised some money to be able to, to have some money, just extra for, for, uh, for renovations. So I raised some money. I gave the investors, I think it was 15% because I want them at every call that I made. My, my goal is that every call that I made, I want them to say yes immediately so that I could close without any hesitation. And essentially I raised, uh, just a little under 700,000 in about two or three days, which, which took a few calls. And, um, and then I, I closed the building, um, you know, call it a month and a half after uh by that time the embassy uh was out of ontario out of canada so hydro was cut off water was cut off uh because nobody was paying the utilities so uh, <laughs> uh property taxes were accumulating uh so there was a lot of letters in the mailbox but nobody was there so when i did the inspection uh, hydro was off and everything else so it was it's difficult to to do but i uh, still got it done and still purchased purchased the building because I knew it was a good deal. Wow. Beautiful. Because, you know, that's that's one thing that uh, most investors or, or a lot of investors would have passed on. Uh, but you took action and uh, you made $2 million in the seven months. Yeah, paid off. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't share that story too much because it's almost too good to be true. But the reality is that's exactly that example is exactly why I want to focus on on uh, what I call core assets is because it's easy to do a couple million a year uh, when you're buying good quality product. Uh, there's good appraisals, there's good there's good demand. So listen, if I work for one year and I make two million um, on one building for doing one renovations, like why do I need to go buy 50 duplexes? uh so yeah, exactly so this so, so that's my thought process around it i'm not saying it doesn't work it does i mean a lot of people are doing well at it but that's my thought process around it so and then it establishes me in in a market that has or in a location that has uh, a lot of growth potential and ver vertically growth potential you know, buy a larger office building or buying a larger multifamily, and and that's that's how I'm seeing my network of deal flow uh, improving is being really focused on the same area. For yeah, sure. for sure. So I want to just take it back for a second. 
I heard you talk about how you raised 700K in three days, which is in itself pretty remarkable. And I think a lot of investors, um, you know, that is one of their biggest stumbling blocks. They don't know how to get access to capital and getting access to capital quickly is even more difficult. So you think you'd share with us a little bit about, you know, how it is that you raise capital, what your structure looks like, and really, I mean, the confidence that you have to be able to raise it so quickly. Yeah, so this is where, you know, uh, so I'm not a salesperson by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) So uh, I never feel confident, quite frankly, not 100% confident because there's all, they could always say no. And frankly, it's because I got a lot of no's in the beginning that uh, makes me feel that way. But I mean, with a, with a growing track, you know, with a growing successful track record, it's, it's getting easier and easier because now I can say, you know, all the deals have been successful. Here's how and how, here's why. But to go back to this, to give some context, it's really about building relationships. All these people that have invested, it has taken me two, three, four, five years of nurturing the relationship for them to feel confident in me. And then what my focus is, is one single focus is high security for the investors. If they have high security, listen, the people who have the most money are no longer trying to get 15% or 20% return on their capital. They're just trying to preserve so that they can pass a good chunk of it to the next generation. And these people, are they don't need 20% returns. They just don't. They want somebody they can trust. They know they're going to get their money back and they know they're going to get the return, whatever they, whatever the deal is that they agree to. So to be able to build trust with those guys uh, is relationship is everything. And, uh, and it takes time. Uh, and the more truthful and the more, so the more honest I am with them, not that I'm not honest, but the more authentic I am with them, the more they see the good and the bad. And, and when I send out emails to my investors, I generally put one or two potential potential investors in BCC to show them how I respond and how I give updates to my current investors on existing deals. So I'm building trust without them being invested into a deal. So when I say, hey, uh, if you want to know how I do deals, I'll just put you on, in BCC on the updates on, on the next ones. Uh, so when I send out a couple of emails as updates. They know what it is. So so I'm creating trust with them even before they become an investor. So when I call them, they want to know what's the security, what's the deal, and, and what the, the terms are. Um, back in the days, I used to let the, the investors direct the deal. Today, I'm the one directing the deal. I'm telling them, this is what I got to offer. Is Does it work for you? It does not work for you. I don't go the other way around because when it goes the other way around, um, you know, you get pulled over, the terms change, et cetera, et cetera. So th- this way, I said the terms, and this is what I'm offering, and that's it. I don't change. This is what it is. Here's I'm providing good security. On some other deals, I here's one thing I've learned. Uh, a lot of people want to do unsecured deals in promissory note. No, I don't have any issues with that. That's the investor to decide, the lending investor. But what my pitch is is that I want to provide you with high security because I want you to trust that you can do this this year, but also next year and the next 10 years going forward. And what I like to do, just for my own simplicity, is I like to prepay some interest. Two months, five months, six months. And the last one I did, actually, I prepaid 12 months of interest up front. So I raised the money and I told them, says, your first year, uh, it's already prepaid. So you don't have to worry about this. And it helps me with cash flow and it helps with uh, everything else around it. So, uh, and when I call them, I give them what the terms are and what the, and what the deal is. And, and they tell me if they like it or not. So that's how I raise capital. So nice. Nick, um, sorry, Jose, to interrupt. It is are they all straight returns that you give to your investors, or do you have equity partners on your deals? Yeah, so I only have one partner uh, that I have. They're all straight uh, interest returns. Um, here's why: two parts. Part one is I've had a a partner partner in a previous deal that just didn't work out. Uh, and uh, we realized after a little while that um, our way of looking at a real estate deal and how to run it was completely different for whatever reason. And that partnership um, burned me a little bit. Uh, so, 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 that's, so that's what happened. So I was definitely more sensitive. I'm definitely not close to 
uh, a JV partner, but I'm very sensitive as to what they bring to the table today. Uh, and, um, and frankly, the people that invest with me, they know how to make money in their own way and they don't need to have another 2% more, 5% more returns. They just prefer to have good, confident, stable, predictable returns, uh, come hell or high water in good assets. Uh, so, so, so that's, so that's the type of investor I look for. There's a lot of people that, that, that approach me that want to invest. Uh, but I, I respectfully turned them down and say, may, maybe, maybe later. So yeah, so they're mainly uh, interest only investors, not not JVs. And uh, I'm assuming that uh, most of these investors that you're working with, uh, they are, you know, high net worth individuals. Uh, how have you been able to secure these investors, or how did you find them? Um, I know that this, you know, it's a lot of nurturing, but yeah. you know, how were you able to establish that relationship from the first place? Yes, it's a good question. At the very beginning, I used to pay a guy who was who was really just doing this. Uh, so he would put deals together. I would never know who the investors were. Uh, I would just have a company name with some money being dropped into my account with 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 you know a secure loan or whatever. So that's how it kind of started. And then that person eventually, uh, you know, we start having meetings with the investors, and the, and it kind of grew from there. And these investors knew one or two more people, and then. Uh, then you would meet people. One good one uh, that I've met, uh, he was a farmer. <laughs> and uh, uh, I met him actually at a, uh, you know, oddly enough, at a prayer breakfast. Um, and uh, him and I were the first two at the, at the, at the breakfast. I, I thought it started at, at, uh, at 6 a.m. and it started at 7. So him and I were there at 6 <laughs> Uh, ended up chatting, and and I learned that he, you know, he owned about twenty two farms, uh, so he's very wealthy, very very wealthy gentleman, and he was quite old as well. I mean that that comes with it. Like you, you just never know. Here's how I find new investors now. Maybe that's the best thing for the for the listeners. When there's a potential investor, I don't give them a pitch anymore. I don't do that. I don't do performa or projections or 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 packages. Uh, or, or selling packages. That's just not who I am. Uh, what I do is I bring them to my existing project that I'm renovating, and I show there. I show I show up there with my pair of jeans, generally with you know a dress shirt or a clean shirt or a polo polo shirt, uh, and then I show them how this deal looks like from investment point of view. Here's what I bought it for. Here's what I'm planning to do, and and they can see we're in renovation or we're doing something. And here's what I think the X is going to look like. And here's what I'm giving the investors. That's all it is. That's how I do my pitch. I bring them on site. They, they see how things see how things progress. And that's it. If they want references, I give them references. But that's how I pitch potential investors. I, I haven't done a performa or a projection to investors in, in, I would say, a long time now. Five years, four years. Because I'm building them on, I'm, I'm, I'm converting them to trust on the execution because that's where you make it or break it. And that's it. That's a very good point. Yep. Yeah, no. And I think that's a really good perspective because a lot of times uh, we've been in the place where we get caught up in, you know, fancy decks and letterheads and nice presentations uh, because that's sort of what you're taught to, to do. Right. But you know, this kind of an approach, it, it allows you to build uh, credibility, one-on-one conversation, because ultimately they're investing in you, right? And and that's that's really the biggest message and takeaway is that they're investing in you, not nothing else. They want that credibility. They want that that trust. Yeah. And, yeah. and I guess people just hiding behind decks and uh, presentations and your, 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 your approach is very unique. Um, and you know what uh, the real players, the real investors, the high net worth individuals—they're—they're they're not just going to go for a nice deck and uh, you know investor money. They want to see, especially if they haven't worked with you in the past, uh, they want to see how you execute a project. Yeah, so that's so that's so that's what I've I've found over the years. Here's something more. Um, I've been touring. No, oh, I've not been touring, but I've met with two Toronto investors that came. Uh, not too long ago, they came to meet me. They were looking at buying assets in Ottawa. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, again, my pair of jeans, my, you know, a, a clean shirt and just walking around uh, downtown Ottawa and, and talking to them about what I see about the market, what I see about the rents, what I see about uh, the p- potential plays uh, and, and just sharing the one-on-one data information that I've acquired over the years. You can't communicate that uh, in a spreadsheet because, uh, or, or in, a, in a package because they can't hear your tone on, on how truthfully confident you are. They can ask you questions right on the spot. So, but some people will not, you know, drive out and come and see you from Toronto to Ottawa or vice versa uh, to, to come in and hear you talk. <laughs> so sometimes you just got to do this on the phone or sometimes you got to do this initially. Uh, but to me, that has been the best way because that's how I'm, I'm most natural. That's how uh, I'm, I'm wired and built. And I'm not, I'm not a sales guy. I just share them what, what I do and, and how uh, we get stuff done and how I buy them and how I get them valued and refinanced and, and the rents up. And that's it. I just show them how the business works. So in this way, they understand how the value is created and, and how they're going to get paid back and get, get some returns. And uh, let's let's go back to what the I know you shared us the the office building deal, uh, but let l- maybe take us back to some of your other deals and uh, maybe more, some more recent ones as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the last the, so the last purchase I did, I purchased two buildings. Uh, so it's total of twenty eight units. I bought it downtown Ottawa, and my purchase price for the twenty eight units uh, was six point six million, and. Uh, uh, so I own 100% of it. I raised some uh, private capital again to help with the renovations. I prepaid one year of interest up front uh, out of a two-year loan. Um, and what I didn't know is, so uh, I think it was, I think I shared this with you, but uh, I realized after I closed, my neighbor uh, was doing a land assembly. The agents were doing a land assembly on my neighbors. And uh, their land is the same zoning as me. And they're actually smaller. So I'm 12,000 square feet. They're 10,000 square feet. And it's, it's for sale now. The assembly is for sale now for $6.4 million, uh, Just for, for teardown. <laughs> for teardown. For teardown. Land value for teardown. Uh, next door. Literally next door. So, you know, there's some stuff like this. I thought people thought I was paying crazy price to buy. Uh, the, the build, buildings I bought. My agent was excited because he knew that uh, he would convince the seller that I wanted, but I knew the location. I knew what was coming up in downtown Ottawa and, and I was planning for the future. And my thought is, you know, as long as there's cash flow to support this land play for the next 10 years, I, I'm fine. And, 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 you know, this, this one is probably won't be a full bird. Like the, the office building was definitely a full bird and more. Uh, but this one won't be a full bird because I was looking at land value long-term. Uh, the zoning allows for 12-story building, and frankly, that's what they're selling next door. Uh, and and my thought is I'm going to be able to cash flow this land for as long as I want and be able to create value and own 100% of it long term. So that was my thought process around it. Uh, my appraisal, uh, when, I, when I'm done, like I have an ask-complete appraisal, is going to be just under $10 million, uh, value uh, once I finish turning over the building. So maybe I'll get it. Maybe it'll be a little bit less. Maybe it'll be a little bit more. I don't know. Frankly, I don't really care. So, uh, so that's what the last purchase was. Yeah. And that's in approximately. Uh, it's a two-year plan, correct? Yeah. So I took a two-year loan. Uh, so I'm roughly at. Uh, so I think June first, we're now going to have eight units that we're going to be turning over. Eight or nine. Uh, forget now. I think eight units that we're going to have turned over. And now that the market is picking up, uh, so we're starting to we're starting to finally see the action to be able to release them at a much higher rent. Uh, my rents are going up. Um, I would say the lowest one is probably two fifty, but on average, probably three fifty to four fifty per unit per month that we're seeing. And then in addition, I'm doing uh, some small things. You know, uh, there are some storage lockers. People will get them for free. No long, no longer the case. Uh, parking was, you know, 50 bucks a month in downtown where it is, uh, it's not going to become 150 whenever the parking becomes available. Uh, there was some laundry, there was two washers that were free, uh, in, in one of the two buildings. So now I, just two days ago, my appliance guy installed, um, some, some coin, some coin box. So now it's going to be four bucks per laundry. My other building has a, a washer coin, coin washer, and it makes 400 bucks a month, 300 bucks a month. 
Uh, so by putting it in, in the other one next door, so it'll give me another 400 bucks a month, um, just or, or 300 bucks a month for for this. Um, yeah, so just finding some new ways. There, there's one. Uh, there's one space that I think I can convert into an extra unit, so I'll likely convert that as well uh, over the next year. Uh, but right now, we're just taking the units that are becoming vacant and try to speed up and try to do as much uh, re renting as quickly as possible over the summer because that's the best time for it. Uh, and the long term projection is that uh, this is going to do this is going a really good area. So so really, you know, if it takes two years, it takes two years. If I don't get the full uh, full complete turnover in two years, it, it, it's fine. Um, I mean, I, I now realize today uh, that the building is worth the the whole building with income is now land value. So so it's good. I'm I'm happy. I think it's yeah. Really good that's that's awesome. Yeah, luck seems to kind of follow you around, Nick. So that's awesome. Um, good, some good, you know. Of course, it's never luck, right? It's 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 somebody being able to identify good opportunities. But um, you you know, you're a fairly young guy. What what is your ultimate goal here? Like, what do you what are you excited about over the next two years, five years, maybe ten years? Where do you see your business going? Or you know, what is your ultimate? Is it uh, all investors are different? Uh, some people you know, want to acquire a certain number of units or a certain sized portfolio, or, I mean, what, what is it that, you know, your vision is with your business? Yeah, that's a good question. And frankly, they get, that gets tested every time I have, you know, major issues with employees or with tenants or contractors or, you know, whenever I have major issues and quite frankly, I have a lot of them. Uh, so, (laughs) so that gets tested often. Um, you know, it's a good question. Um, before I started in real estate, you know, I did this spreadsheet uh, where you know I had to own 152 units. Uh, I had to own, I think it was, I think it was uh, 74 units to be able to have the cash flow to pay for what I was looking for. And then back then, you know, the the, the strategy was, you know, you're going to be 50-50 with the JV, so double the number to own whatever the amount that you need. So the 74 became, you know, 150, 150 units that I need to buy. Today, with what I got, I could retire. I could just pull the plug and do it. But I feel like I'm just getting started. Not because I need more, just because I think I can grow as a human being and as a business owner more. Uh, I have a lot of room, room to grow from a business perspective. So now my focus is on creating a sustainable business. And I don't know how to do that, to be completely frank. Clearly, I'm, I'm working too much. To make it sustainable so that's what i'm trying to figure out to have a scale enough that will be sustainable uh, i think in the next five years i'm going to be at um, most likely i'm going to be over 100 million just on the growth path that i'm on but frankly i don't care if i hit it or not i, I probably will just by the nature of buying stuff and and, and doing well with them um, but it's not it's no longer my goal my true goal is to have one or two 20-story apartment buildings that I can pass on. But it takes time to get to that one or two 20 stories. So 20-story in Ottawa is roughly 200 units. So passing one 200-unit single building to, to the next generation takes, especially if it's your cash, takes a bit of time to get there. <laughs> so, so that's what I'm striving for. That's what I'm striving for. I want to pass one roof. That's really what I one or two roofs. That's all I want to do. So that's that's what I'm and in the process, build a sustainable business because I can't do this for for another twenty years for sure. Yeah. So when you talk about sustainable business, what does your business structure look like right now in terms of um, you know I know you said you work long hours and uh, it's it's been it's been challenging, but uh, do you have any employees? Um, you know, uh, w- what does it look like in terms of your your entire business entity? Yeah, yeah. So, so there's so there's me. I have uh, Goran, who's my bookkeeper uh, employee. I have Walid, who's my CFO. He's contractor, uh, th- third party CFO essentially. Uh, so he looks over the high level stuff, the year ends, and uh, and that. Um, I have Kevin, who's my repairs and maintenance. Uh, I brought in, in January when I bought the last two buildings, I brought property management in-house. Uh, and uh, so I had a new employee uh, as property manager in-house. Uh, that didn't work out. I let him go. 
so now I'm I now have probably management under my shoulder. But in the last couple of weeks, I've been interviewing to have an in-house property manager. Uh, so I, uh, there's a good candidate here that will be able to do it. So in-house property management. Uh, who else? I have Julie, leasing agent. I have um, I have Arash. So he's not really an employee, but he works so much for me. He's over ten hours. He's over twenty hours a week now. Uh, he's uh, IT and systems, internet, uh, camera. So we're upgrading. I'm upgrading all my buildings to have providing internet. So here, here's maybe a good thing for for you actually, uh, Jose. So uh, I'm going to be paying about eight to ten thousand per system to have what roughly what the hotels have, which is a dedicated username and, and, and login to have access to the internet and, and it's internet anywhere in the building uh so and we're gonna get the best internet so one gig unlimited speed and, and download and and we're gonna be charging the tenants 40 to 50 bucks per month to have access to this uh internet uh and it's gonna be unlimited and the reality is that uh, i've done a survey in in my properties and most tenants pay 75 plus per month and it's not the fastest and it's not unlimited in some cases it is some cases it isn't but this way the, the idea is to be able to upgrade their quality of internet and reduce their costs and put this income stream on my balance sheet on my pnl so it'll cost me eight to ten grand and the monthly uh cost will be about 200 bucks a month and i should be able to bring in in all the properties when this is done hopefully by the end of this year should bring another six to seven thousand a month in additional revenue uh so that will be massive uh revenue source uh so the valuation on this will be just very dramatic too so let's spend the money to, to get that done yeah i'll definitely uh, reach out to you to get more details uh offline um, yeah i'll pass you over to the it guy because yeah. I, I don't know the specifics <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and that's what i love about uh, nick is that you is you're a very creative thinker. Uh, you think outside the box. You, you find opportunities that most people may oversee. Um, what do you think is a billion-dollar skill or multi-million-dollar skills nowadays that you have to hone in in real estate investing that you think is essential for s- success now? Uh, a million-dollar skill. Um the money the money is made in knowing what and where to buy the money is made in knowing what and where to buy you and i have talked about this the three levels of economics and to me that is the foundation the three level of economics market economics number one what's ottawa versus hamilton versus toronto versus calgary versus montreal how's the market doing how good is the market doing and this is all based on rain research i take no credit for this the second one is neighborhood economics. Are you buying downtown? Or are you buying on the outskirts? How good is your market? How good is your neighborhood? Sorry, versus the other. And then three is how. And then three is property economics. How good is your deal today? And I try to buy in the best markets based on rain research, and I try to buy in the best neighborhoods for a long-term uh, tenant pool, high-quality tenant pool. That's my target market tenants. Uh, and then I try to buy properties at market or sometimes I pay above markets based on some people's opinion uh, to be able to have the best market and the best neighborhoods. So to me, that understanding is what made me all the money, honestly. Um, and so that's the skill to me. And then the skill of execution, whether or not you do it, it doesn't matter. You're still responsible. If you, if you have a JV partner or you have private investors, or if, frankly, if it's your family's money, you owe it to yourself and to your wife and to your kids <laughs> to be able to, to, to do and execute what you plan out to do. So the execution is where it's you make it or break it. So um, that's it. So I, I guess execution and a clear on clarity. I think clarity is, is where the money is. Frankly, that's all it is. Because somebody can do the work if you're clear on what needs to be done and how it needs, how it needs to be done. Yeah, that's, that's a very good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nick, tell us a quote or a saying that you live by or that's helped you succeed. What's your favorite quote? Yeah, so my favorite quote is this. How I do anything is how I do everything. And that's how I view 
people too. How I do anything is how I do everything. Uh, if I'm a jerk with you, I'm a jerk with everybody else. If I'm a good person with you, I'm most likely a good person with everybody else because it's my, my nature one way or the other. Uh, if I'm detailed with this, I'm likely detailed with, if I'm sloppy with that, I'm likely sloppy with other stuff too because it goes back to character. So, so you can get a good sense of people uh, by knowing how to do the basic stuff. Uh, that's trust, that's human. So I remind myself uh, <laughs> how I do anything with employees, with tenants, with contractors, with investors, frankly, is how I do everything. And frankly, it, 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 it's uh, frankly, you know, good fortune and bad fortune. It has worked well and, and bad in both ways, frankly. So, yeah. Awesome. And uh, right now, what's, what's something that you're working on that is exciting for you or, um, you know, uh, any, any specific deals? I know you're always looking at deals and you're very open to not just multifamily, but other asset classes as well. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. Is it, is it mostly multifamily that you're looking at uh, currently? Yeah, so uh, good question. So answer is yes or no. I really understand well now, or I understand much better, is commercial and multi. I mean, to me, multifamily falls into the commercial financing game, and and the tenant is you know families. So multifamily is really so. I want multifamily to be my main focus because that's what I know the most, and and I know that that's the most stable asset long term, and I don't need to be a REIT. Uh, to own retail plazas and all this other stuff. So, uh, so multifamily is really where I focus on uh, to be able to to make this. But I'm looking at office space, as you know. And why am I looking at office space? Is you know, as Warren Buffett says, this is be greedy when people are fearful, be fearful when people are greedy. I think the office, some office investors are going to be fearful, uh, in probably in about a year from now, because some leases will expire. They're going to be vacant. So, so I will look at that. So I, I'm trying to buy at the bottom of the office space. I think office is there to stay. Uh, it will change. It'll dramatically change as a result of COVID and everything else. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm still keeping my eyes open. And then try to be creative. Uh, you know, I have an offer in on on a property to be able to convert, a, a, you know, essentially a school or college into, I'm guessing, between 80 to 100 residential apartments. Uh, and then just working at that, uh, I tried to buy an office building downtown Ottawa. It was a seven-story building, so six story, so ground floor retail plus six stories of office. The building was sixty percent vacant wow. uh, office space and converted into residential, so about fifty units residential. But that one didn't pan out, so, uh -huh. so that's Watch what I'm looking day. at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, tell us about that deal that you're working on. Um, in your former hometown, from what I know of it, it's a very large project. Uh, but uh, at what stage is it at? Yeah, so that one's a complex deal. Uh, the seller is the province, so Her Majesty the Queen. Uh, so the APS is 45 pages long, and it pretty much, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize it, is uh, the Queen takes no responsibility on anything and will not provide anything. <laughs> and you have to assume everything and you are not allowed to do proper due diligence. That's, that's essentially the, the 45 pages. So you can do proper due diligence because they want you to, to buy as is. They will not commit to anything, like anything, anything. <laughs> so it's very complex. There's, uh, there's no environmental contamination on the site. I have a good understanding on how to resolve it, but because I can't do diligence, it's very difficult to wrap my head around what the cost is. Uh, I'm guessing it's somewhere between 250000 which would be palatable for me, to $2.5 million, which would not be palatable for me. Uh, and converting it into 80 to 100 uh, units uh, would make this building worth uh, just a little less than $20 million, most likely around the $15 to $17 million value uh, for a total cost of less than ten. So if, my, if it cost me less than $10 million to get $17 million values, to me, that's a good deal. Uh, but there's a lot of hair around it. And, and frankly, I could, you know, I could do a home run or I could lose a lot of, a lot of money. So this one's very complex. Uh, so 
this is round two of offers. I resubmitted my offers on Monday with some new deposit money and everything else. And it's a very complex deal. I don't even know if, if, if the province is going to look at it again. Um, so that are, one's you, are you a, trying a difficult to negotiate one. on the price? Is that what it is? Yeah. So initially my offer was 800,000 uh, with some due diligence. So now I have dropped it with, to 600,000 um, and then allowed to do some due diligence. But whatever cost that there is, uh, I, they can add. So they essentially they can increase the price to about a million bucks. So if I can remove the environmental risk. So that's how I'm trying to structure it, try to be creative again on how the province can sell and as is building and me reduce my risk on environmental and still make this a, a good deal without, without losing my shirt on it. Uh, if it has unresolvable uh, contamination within two-year period, this building has a half a million dollars a year carrying costs. So if I'm sitting on my hands for two years, it'll cost me a million dollars more in value and cost just to be able to try and resolve the environmental. That's before I start construction because nothing will happen until I get a clean check mark uh, from the Ministry of Environment. So a very tough deal to uh, orchestrate. Um, but if it, if it works, uh, then it's, it's, it's going to be an absolute home run. If it doesn't work, then I'll for sure will be losing a lot of money. So that's it. <laughs> you win or you lose. That's, that's really what it is. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I give you credit for having the courage to even pursue something like this. Uh, uh you know, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, definitely commendable. Well, so here's what I've learned. Um, I don't move forward unless I have about 70% positive uh, view on the deal. And when, it, when the first round of offers came, I was not at 70% confident. So I dropped it because uh, I was the winning offer. So round two, I got more info, got more due diligence done off, offline. Uh, and so I'm probably at 60% confident now. So we'll see. Hopefully they accept uh, my terms. Uh, and and if they do, and then I'll be able to likely get the remaining ten percent or hopefully more um, confidence on on what the deal will look like. And if it is, generally it tends up. I do most of the legwork up front. That's how I do my deals. I do a lot of due diligence up front to reduce risk down down the line. Yeah, and that's the that's the smart way to do it, right? Obviously, like you said, it's all about mitigating your risk and uh, making sure that you know your investors are also taken care of and all of that stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's that's how I do it. I'm sure other people would, would look at it differently, but um, that's I've lost enough money now to know to to not to, to try and and try to turn all the rocks uh, at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, Nick, um, you know, I think we're coming to to, to a close here with our time, but uh, it's been. I, I think we could probably ask you a whole lot more questions. You're, you know, you're you're up to some really cool stuff. It's been been wonderful hearing about it and i think you've shared uh you know so many great great things i've learned so many things already too so thank you for that um just in close uh maybe you can tell uh everybody a little bit about where they can find you how they can contact you um you know we'll add it to the show notes as well but um you know if anybody wants to reach out uh you know, I know you do some coaching, uh, you have uh, people who maybe want to invest with you, learn more about that side of things. How can they reach you? Yeah, so I guess the best way to, to reach me is probably on the website uh, is buildinginvestments.ca. So, you know, building and the word investments.ca. Uh, uh, I mean, or they can reach out by email, uh, which is nlego at buildinginvestments.ca. I'm easy going. I have a question for you, actually, for you, Jose. Sure. What did you, from all the conversations we've had over the years, what did you learn from me? What's the, your biggest takeaway? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're you. putting me on the spot now oh, yeah. which is great um, you know the, the biggest thing is taking action um, what I learned from you is uh, you got to be you know you got to educate yourself build that confidence but ultimately if I hadn't taken actions if I was if I wasn't implementing what you were, were suggesting or uh, you know taking your advice on things then I still would would have no properties uh, or no multifamily properties. 
so we, we're continuing to take big action, you know, in 2021 now as well. And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of skyrocketed our business. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was just taking massive action is what I learned and, and figuring it out along the way, because you're never going to have hundred percent of the answers. You're going to have to, uh, navigate, uh, those challenges and keep moving forward. Uh, that that's amazing. That's a phenomenal takeaway. I, I'm excited that that's the takeaway you got taking action because that really is all there is. That's how you find the problems. That's how you find the solutions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's a great close to our conversation today. So, uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Nick. Uh, it was it was great talking to you. And uh, yeah, I'll, we'll put we'll put all your contact information in our show notes. And uh, hopefully, if anybody wants to reach out, they can definitely do that. Awesome. Thanks again, guys. We really appreciate uh, taking the time and uh, thank you for everything and look forward to the following conversation. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. Bye for now. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.